Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. We are back in our series, Citizens of the Kingdom, this morning. We're starting with chapter 7 as we continue this journey, uh, learning what does it mean to actually live out life as if Jesus, as he is, our king, and how he calls us to live as citizens of his kingdom. Uh, This morning, we're looking at chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. This is what uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, one of my favorite pastors, calls a non-believer's favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, Maybe you've been uh, misquoted at before. You've talked to somebody and they might say like, hey, bro, doesn't the Bible say do not judge lest you are judged? And so that's the verse that we'll be looking at this morning. Let's read it together. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Jesus says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So here's this, this idea, this concept of, of, uh, of judging other people. We'll kind of unpack that. What does that mean? So previous chapter, Jesus dealt with sort of the internal issues of a citizen of the kingdom. The motives for giving, the motives for praying, the motives for really doing anything, fasting, uh, dealing with materialism at the heart level, storing up our treasures that are in heaven. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And really it was in contrast to that of the Pharisees. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount really is a, a contrast to, these are the people who are the elite spiritual leaders in Jerusalem and in Israel at this day, and yet their hearts are so far from God. A citizen of the kingdom His heart becomes transformed. Their heart becomes renewed, and we begin to live with different motives. And so now it's not so much the internal issues of our motives that we do before God the Father. Now it's how we look and perceive other people, how we see other people, how we look upon another person, uh, and and what we're supposed to be like. Now the Pharisees, they had a judgmental spirit. Uh, That's not something that's supposed to be among us. In fact, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. He says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Jesus said two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. And and it's like the angels in heaven said, oh my gosh, great job. We're so proud of you. With such pride. And yet that's where a Christian can find themselves when we get to that spot in our life where we have this greater than and less than sign in our hearts where we go, I'm doing life at the highest level. And then we look down upon everybody else who isn't measuring up to our standards. So what does it mean though when Jesus says to judge not lest you be judged, or so that you're not judged. Many who don't know the Bible, they know that verse, though. 
And then they quote something like, you know, hey, you're not supposed to judge people. And what they mean by it is that, that you're not supposed to have an opinion about something that's right or wrong. They just want sort of a universal, accept everyone, accept everything that's out there to believe in, and then stop judging. That's not actually what Jesus uh, means. We have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture because it is a little strange that Jesus says, do not judge. But in verse 6, he says, and don't cast your pearls before your before swine or give that which is holy to dogs. So obviously, how do we know who a pig is and who a dog is unless we make some sort of judgment call, right? It doesn't mean that a Christian can't have an opinion or express that opinion. Uh, You're not judging anybody because you just disagree with somebody else's choices or lifestyle. It's possible to love someone unconditionally, get this, and disagree with them. To even call them out on something that you see them doing. Uh, as verse 6 says, we have to make some kind of discernment. In verse 14 and 15, we'll get to in a couple weeks, uh, we're called to make a judgment on uh, people. And it says, you will know people by their fruits. So there's something to this judging that we need to understand. We're, we're supposed to make judgment calls. Uh, the New Testament tells us that we're supposed to make a judgment call on something that is right teaching or false doctrine or false teaching. We're supposed to judge it and we're supposed to dismiss it. We're supposed to reject it. Uh, the Bible calls us to actually to call one another out. When you see your brother or sister stumbling in some sin, uh, you're not supposed to cast a, a blind eye to it. You're supposed to actually go to them and say, and gentleness and humility we'll get to in a little bit, but you're supposed to actually say, hey, I see you moving in this direction, uh, and it's going to lead to despair and destruction for your life. At that moment, you can't say, oh, you're judging me. No, like, no I'm not judging you. You're, you ran off with your secretary. Like, it's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> judging in this way or uh, making a judgment call in that way, it brings clarity to what's true and also brings repentance, we see in the New Testament. So when Jesus is saying, uh, do not judge, it's really referring to making a condemnation call on somebody, condemning them. And also having just that kind of disposition of being critical, always fault-finding. Uh, Jesus says that we're not to condemn another person. Uh, or we, we should never judge another person's motives. We find ourselves in that kind of spot all the time, right? We look at them like, oh, you know why they're doing that. Jesus says, don't do that. You're, you're making a condemnation type of call uh, to condemn someone as guilty before God. Only God can do that. Only God can pronounce a final judgment on upon a person's soul. This is the same attitude that John and the other disciples had when the, Jesus sent them ahead to the Samaritans and said, hey, prepare, I'm coming there. I'm gonna come and share about the kingdom of God. And they actually rejected him because Jesus was on, a way, on his way to Jerusalem. They had this big kind of animosity between Samaritans and uh, Jewish people. And, uh, and so two of the disciples said, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? That's a, like, John, slow down. Have you ever had that sort of attitude where you just make such a judgment call and you're just like, oh, Lord, you know what? They're guilty. They just need to be dealt with. Deal with them, God. To judge or dismiss a person as one who will never be saved. Man, we put ourselves in God's place when we do that. But it also shows up in sort of the spirit of the Pharisee, where we just have this harshness about our lives. We're always looking uh, with a critical eye upon other people. Again, we are like that Pharisee in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, where we look and say, Lord, you're so lucky that you have me in your kingdom. I do all these things for you, and I'm not like that guy over there. 
It must be possible for us, by the way, to actually live out our Christianity in this way, where we have a critical, judgmental heart. Or why would Jesus bring it up in the Sermon on the Mount? It must be something that goes on in our lives that Jesus is trying to root out, just like materialism, and living for the things of this world in chapter 6. There are things that God wants to do in our lives, and one of them is to help us to live out a humble life, where we see people with the same eyes that Jesus sees people. How does it flesh out? Well, self-righteousness. We feel superior to others because we do all these things for God. And yet, it began, this Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, Jesus began to describe the characteristic traits of a citizen of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When you recognize your own spiritual poverty before God, all of a sudden, you no longer look with judgment upon other people because you sort of know who you are. Have you ever been in that spot where you, you feel like you're just sort of nailing it? You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're doing your devos. You're at church all the time. You're, you're kind of, you know, on top of your life, so to speak. And you look at somebody who's not, and you kind of sort of make a judgment call about them, and like, oh, they'll never get it together. And then the Lord allows you to see your own mistakes, and you trip up, and you crash and burn. Is there any other human beings like that in this room? We just go like, and you just go, I cannot believe I thought that about what's-his-face. I cannot believe I said that about her when all of a sudden you get like this mirror and like, oh, you are that person. You're the same way. This self-righteousness. We do that by judging other churches too. Pastors and church leaders are, are great at that. It's like, oh, well, you know why that church is big? It's because they water down the word. You know what I mean? You ever heard that? Like, oh, Clovis Hills, those guys, well, I'm not going to name any names. You guys are, <laughs> Pastor Sean, oh, he doesn't really care about the gospel. He's just about numbers over there. That's why they had a helicopter that dropped all those eggs on Easter and made our Easter egg hunt look really bad and sad about two years ago. I actually called him out on that. Like, bro, come on, seriously? Took a picture of the helicopter. He apologized. He's repented since, and so it will never happen again. Oh, this is why that church is big. Oh, because they water down the road. Oh, they're not serious about the gospel. They're not serious about Jesus. All these things that we can say, with, that's the judgmental spirit. And we do it at work. We do it on teams. We judge other people. We judge their moms, their dads, what have you. Man, you got to root that out of your heart, and so do I. It's so gross when it's tethered to spiritual, spirituality, to your spiritual life. When you judge someone based on like, man, I'm really living for Jesus and they're not. In prayer, as the man in, in Luke's gospel chapter 18, judging another person, we might not judge them in prayer, but we might be sitting in church some Sunday morning or Saturday night and say, boy, you know who really needs to hear this message? You do. But yet we get to that spot where we're like, oh boy, I wish they were here. Boy, they'd really be repenting. They would really get it. Self-righteousness, being hypercritical, having no grace for people, that's a very bad way to live. You know, if you're going to be in trouble, by the way, with the Lord, let it be because you're more like his gracious side, right? Than his, the rightful judgmental side that he has, being God. 
but to be hypercritical and have no grace in your life for other people. There's a difference between honest criticism, you coming up to me and sharing, hey, this is something that I want to share with you or someone saying that to you. Honest criticism, it builds somebody up. It helps them actually grow, right, and become better. Uh, but being hypercritical, it tears people down. That fault-finding attitude. It's like you, you're looking in somebody's life, you're hoping to find the mistake so that you can call it out. Uh, some people in churches are called sin sniffers, you know what I mean? Where they're sort of kind of probing and asking questions about your life so they can sort of sniff out like a hound dog. Like, oh man, I was smelling something really bad going on in your life. Uh, fault finding, being hypercritical. There's a story about a, a, a young man who's just got married. He's on his honeymoon with his wife. And he sat her down. He said, now that we're married, I want to share some of the um, character defects that you have that I want you to improve on. And so she sat there gladly listening, and she says, you know what? Yes, I want you to share those with me because it was those little defects that I have that kept me from getting a better husband. <laughs> Man, you can get so critical, get so, like, hypercritical of people. And, and it comes in gray areas, too. Jesus says, judge not. And we look at gray areas in a person's life, like, you know, something that's not black and white in, the, in, in God's word. Uh, Paul talked about this in Romans 14. He says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So hypercritical shows up in this judgmental spirit, the spirit of a Pharisee, uh, as well as judging other people's motives. Well, you know why they're going to church? Probably because of girls. Or you know why they did that? It's because they want to be seen as spiritual. Only God can judge in that kind of way. And we need, we need to make sure that we actually don't do it. There's no mercy for those people. God wants us to be like him, full of grace and mercy for others. A better way would be, God, you've changed me. I know that you're going to be able to change them. And finally, finally, just judging their position with God, saying that, oh, there's no chance they will ever be saved. And here's the reality. There's no person in this world that is too far from God to reach. So how would we ever get to that spot? We'd say, oh, they'll never be a believer. They'll never get saved. Pray for them. So Jesus says, judge not. Why? Very practical reasons. Number one, he says, so that you will not be judged. That's a great reason to stop condemning people with our critical bony fingers, right? So that we're not judged. Is this God, some people think? Or is it others? Or is it both? You know what happens when you're critical? Is you open yourself up to criticism. If you're so hypercritical around your house and nitpicking about, you know, all that's going on, your kids and your spouse and all that stuff, and at work, guess what? You open yourself up to that same kind of criticism and judgment. Critical people attract it in their lives. And when we do it, Jesus says we set in motion judgment. But it's not just judgment that comes our way. It's the measure of it that comes our way, Right? If you're harsh with others, then someone is going to be the same with you. Jesus says, don't judge, number one, so that you're not judged. Number two, another good reason. Because the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the second very practical reason. We set the measure for that judgment. 
It was uh, David in in 1 Samuel chapter, uh, uh, actually 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read about King David. Uh, King David had uh, an adulterous relationship with his neighbor and uh, one of his uh, head, um, you know, soldiers for for the armies of God and the armies of Israel, uh, Uriah. So he had an adulterous relationship. He actually tricked him to come back into town, hoping that, uh, because now she's pregnant, so he's hoping that, like, hey, go home to your wife. She's really pretty. You should go hang out. And, uh, and he was too honorable for that. He went back to the battlefield with a note in his hand from King David to Joab and said, put Uriah at the front, at the, at the hottest part of the battle, so that he's killed. He was killed. David took, Uriah, or took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, to be his own wife. And, uh, and five months later, miraculously, she had a baby. Right? I, I think that's about, isn't it like uh, five to nine months? There we go. Uh, and everyone's just like going, man, I guess it must be a king thing. There must be something in the water. He thought he was all covered up. And God sent Nathan the prophet to him and said uh, to, to David, David, there's a story of a man in your kingdom. Well, he's, he's got all these sheep. He's got all these you know, animals. And a neighbor came to visit him. And, and he wanted to throw a party. But instead of taking one of his sheep to you know, have it slaughtered so that they could have you know, lamb that night and shish kebab and all that kind of stuff, he went to his neighbor who only had one little ewe lamb. And it was this precious animal to his family. Uh, it had a pet name. It slept with the kids. And, and, da- and this man actually had that man's lamb killed. And they barbecued it that night. And it just aroused such uh, an anger in David. David said, that man shall die. And he shall pay back fourfold for what he has done. It was like, he was like the godfather. I want him dead. I want his family dead, right? <laughs> and, and, and Nathan looked at David and said, David, you're the man. But you're not going to die. But guess what? Your judgment is fourfold coming. If you're going to like, you know, have a measure back to you for something, do it for grace and forgiveness and generosity, right? Not judgment and condemnation. Because Jesus makes it very clear. The measure you use is coming back to you in the same way. It's a life principle, isn't it? I remember being on staff at a church down in Southern California, and uh, I was a part of the board at that church at that time. And uh, um, I remember we were having a discussion about one of the junior high pastors that worked underneath me. And, uh, and so my senior pastor and some of the board members were kicking around like, hey, you think we should give Chris a raise? You know, and like the fleshly part of me was like going, no, man, make him suffer, right? Like, no, give me a raise. I got smart in that meeting. You know what I said? Yes, we should give him a raise. And, and, and then they start throwing numbers around. I'm like, I feel like we should double it. I think you just need to be way more generous. You want to know why I did that? Because I knew that they were going to discuss maybe a raise for me after I left the room. <laughs> and I wanted them to say, uh, you just, I, I've changed a lot too, by the way. So you're safe here at RBC. I'm just telling you how I felt about 20 years ago. And I'm thinking, if, if I say, let's double it, they're going to go, man, Gordon's so generous. I can't believe this. He's not even going to be jealous that we're giving this guy a raise. So anyways, he did get a raise. And I didn't. Why did I do that? Why do we do that? Why should we do that? Because we want the same standard to come back to us. 
Jesus says in the negative sense, don't judge because you'll be judged and then the measuring stick that you use to judge that person or condemn that person, it's coming back to you. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Here's another reason why Jesus says in verse 3 through 5. is because you can't see clearly to make a judgment call with a giant log in your eye. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. We get critical of others, yet we're not willing to see our own sin and Jesus makes this comical statement. The same substance, a tiny speck of sawdust in a person's eye, it's irritating. Of course you want to help somebody out who's having a difficult time seeing and having their eyes swell up and itch and, and hurt. But Jesus says, like, essentially, listen, you can't see clearly the speck in your brother or sister's eye when you have a telephone pole sticking out of your own eye. See, that's a mental picture. And everyone might have chuckled and said, like, oh, that's funny. I can never see that happening. Yet, when Jesus says, when you judge and condemn another person, that critical spirit, you're guilty. You have a telephone pole in your own eye. Not only with that critical spirit, but also just the fact that we're not willing to see our own mistakes and our own sin. He's not saying don't help another person when they struggle. He's just saying don't be a hypocrite when you do it. Deal with your own crud first. What's that, what's that, um, that, that statement, you know, that says, the, uh, you know, that's like the, the, the pot calling the kettle black or the kettle calling. It's like, hello, kettle? Oh, you're black. And the pot's like, uh, I'm okay? That's what happens when we do that. David saw, by the way, any other person. Yet that his was a minor offense. He took a guy's lamb. Okay, yeah, I guess that's bad. But murder and adultery, those are both punishable by death according to Jewish law. We're incapable of helping another person when we have that hypocrisy in our own life, when we have that beam in our own eye. It's not about being righteous, right? Or we wouldn't tolerate it in our own lives. It's not about being truthful and saying, I just want the truth to be told. That guy has a speck of sawdust in his eye. It's really about actually trying to stay in that judgmental spirit. Jesus says you can't do it. You've got to stop doing that. You've got to deal with your own stuff first. It's hypocritical. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, Paul making this case that we're all guilty before God. He's speaking to a group of religious people who felt like they had some worth before God. And in Romans 2.1, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Isn't that funny how we get like that in the church? We forget that blessed are the poor in spirit. We forget that we are the spiritually impoverished human beings who needed grace. And continue to need grace, not only from God, but from other people because we're a work in progress. And yet the church, it's like we get a few things in line in our lives and we think we can just start casting out judgment. We think we can start becoming hypercritical of other people who don't meet our standards. Uh, in our church down in Southern California, we had a lot of young people coming to it. And being in the beach culture, it was a little bit uh, more, uh, less conservative in dress. And so there'd be, you know, those judgments that, you know, some of the older ladies in the church would say like, oh, I can't believe what she's wearing and blah, 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 blah. And gee, you know, if she was really a Christian, she would know how to dress in the house of God. Yet they gossiped about other people behind their back. Isn't that crazy? We make these judgment calls and we're unwilling to look at the log in our own eye. 
It's insane. Jesus says, stop doing it. If we're truly concerned with truth, not just condemning others, then we'll do some self-judgment first. That beam that Jesus referred to, it's made of the same substance as the sawdust in another person's eye. Have, do, you, do you find yourself, it's kind of like when you're thinking about buying a new car, and then like everyone has that car. Have you noticed that? Like, oh yeah, let's go look at, one time Tammy and I were looking at a, a Kia, uh, Ultima, or, what is it? I don't even know. We didn't get it, it doesn't even matter. We're going to get a bug. We're going to get a Volkswagen bug. Now we see him everywhere, and Tammy just keeps punching my arm. Slug bug. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? You're like, I want to buy this, and everyone's got it. Well, it's kind of like your own sin. It's like you start pointing out the things that you yourself struggle with because you're so frustrated with your own life that you just go, oh, I want to fix it in that person's life because it's so much easier, and it's much more fun, isn't it, to look at other people first. You can't get close enough to them when you have a giant log in your eye to even help. So if you want to help, Jesus says, get rid of the critical spirit of a Pharisee. Examine your attitudes towards others. Is it loving? Love hopes all things. Or is it fault-finding and critical? That's a great passage for us as parents, as we're raising our kids too, by the way. To say, I want to be filled with grace and have patience, the amount of patience that God has for me and allowing me to grow. We want to have that same for not only our kids, but for other people. A citizen of the kingdom, their characteristic trait is humility, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You think about Jesus before that woman caught in adultery. He said to the Pharisees who were ready to condemn her, he says, let the person who is without sin be the first to chuck this rock at her. It's like, get rid of that critical spirit. Stop judging other people. Stop having this eye of criticism towards other people. Why? Because judgment's coming back to you. The same measure that you use is coming back to you. And we're hypocrites when we do it. When we recognize our own sin, when we call it what it is, when we deal with it through repentance, then we're actually able to help others. But we're grieved by our own mistakes and sin. We're humbled by it, that experience. And then, and then we're able to actually really be of help to other brothers and sisters in our community and in, in our church. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Eyes are very sensitive. You ever get something stuck in your eye and, and, you know, someone's like, oh, let me help you. You look at their fingers and their hands. You're just like going, no, thank you. I'd like, get a cactus, please, and help me with this. You're like, no, man, I don't want something gross in my eye. I don't want your dirty fingers in my, in my eye. You're a non-washer. You, you walk out of the bathroom like going, don't shake that guy's hand. Side elbow, that's all they get. <laughs> and then it, it, it's so, like, it seizes up. Someone... Wants to touch your eye, you close your eye, it's hard to do. You know, when our kids were little, they'd scratch their eye. I remember Austin was about, not even two years old, but he was a pretty talkative kid, uh, really early. And, uh, and he got like uh, some sand in his eye, but then he fell asleep, you know, driving from the park. And, and uh, he woke up just screaming, and he just kept saying the statement, I got a rock in my eye, I got a rock in my eye. And the poor kid had a rock in his eye. Uh, we had to take him to the doctor, and they, did, you know, did a little dye and turn the lights out, and his eyes all scratched up 
from this rock. And uh, that was our first kid, so we got better with, like, you know, sand and rocks and things like that. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, you know, trying to put the drops in, it's just like, you know, pry that eyelid open, like, this is, this is hurting more and more than it's hurting you, or wait, however our parents lied to us, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, like, dude, I'm sorry, you're the one who got a rock in your eye, but open up and let me put this medicine in there to make it better. Eyes are sensitive, and I think it's, I think it's uh, God's wisdom that he gives us this illustration talking about uh, a speck in another person's eye, because of the sensitivity that we have, we all get that, right, with the eye. That's the same way you and I need to treat people's souls. With that same sort of humility, that same sort of gentleness. How patient and cautious you need to be when you deal with your eye physically. Well, that's the way you need to be. And that's why Paul said to gentleness and humility. When a person has truly seen themselves, they never judge another in a wrong way. Wrong way. And so Paul says, be sensitive with each other. Be patient. Have a sense of calmness. In the same way you would treat an eye, it's the way you would handle a soul. You deal with people in that same way. God is patient with us. Uh, Paul would say, when you go to your brother or sister who's caught up in some sin, you would do it with a sense of sympathy or empathy. Want to know why? Because you've had that same substance in your eye. You've had your own life get caught up in some form of sin just like that. And, and you're as unworthy as they are and as sinful as they are. What Jesus would say is even more if we have that idea of being critical. He says, deal with yourself first. You have a role as a citizen of the kingdom to help people walk with Jesus and to get restored and to get back on the right path. But, but when you deal with yourself first, then you go with gentleness and humility like Paul said. You get free yourself. You experience joy from that freedom. And you want others to have that same kind of experience. Isn't it interesting when, when, when you get that log out of your eye, you realize like how much smaller their sin actually was than your own when you fully embrace the things that you and I do and have done and especially the spirit of criticism. What are we looking for in people? Why is it that we're looking with a critical eye? In Romans 14, I read, essentially Paul is saying, stop looking for it. Stop looking for the mistake. Stop looking for the problem in another person's uh, life and criticizing them and judging them. And look out for them for their good, right? Don't put a stumbling block before them is what Paul said. Don't judge and don't cause them to stumble. Take a look in the mirror and you'll never be critical again. You know, Paul told young Timothy, he said, Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. For in doing so, you will not only save yourself, but those who hear you. I like what... Paul gave that young advice to a young pastor. Timothy, keep a, keep a watchful eye on your own life. Do you guys know that you are your biggest enemy? Have you noticed that in your life? Like, man, I could, I could, you could go zero to 60 in a disaster in your life. You by yourself could mess up your life so bad. Does anybody do I get a witness here today? Like going, yeah, that's why I'm here today, church. Watch your own life. Watch what you do. Judge your motives for why you would do something and stop looking at everybody else. And when you have that kind of humility, guess what? God will use you to bring restoration because you'll have a gentle spirit and not a spirit of a Pharisee. You'll have a humble heart and you'll have a delicate touch with the fragile souls that all of us have. God does want to use us in that way, but we need to be gentle with others 
And we are when we're humbled. And then he gives us this final word in verse 6, this sort of final statement about judging. It's really you could say, it's like, don't condemn, but use discernment. When he says, hey, do not uh, put holy things out for the dogs. Don't cast your pearl before the swine. What is he talking about there? Uh, discernment is not contradicting what Jesus just said. You know, if we stop short of verse 6, the church would never use wisdom. We would never reject false teaching. We would never deal with, uh, with people who have unrepentant attitudes and, and cause division in churches. He's saying, don't be hypercritical dealing with souls, but be discerning over false teaching and sin. When he talks about that which is holy, and we talk about these pearls, uh, these are precious things of the kingdom of God, the gospel, the things that God is doing. He's saying, be discerning how you uh, share that message and with whom you share that message with. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus says, if someone will not listen to your words, he says, shake the dust off your feet. Don't continue there arguing with them. I've been so many times, I, when, way back when I was a youth pastor in, down south, we would go out on the, the beach and we'd go street witnessing. And, you know, we'd talk to people and, and some were led to Jesus right there on uh, PCH. And it was phenomenal and, and, and mind-blowing that someone who just came to the beach that day would get saved. We used to do our baptisms out in the ocean. And uh, I, I began as a wave blocker, uh, you know, so that the wave didn't, like, take the, the new uh, baptized people, like, out to sea and smash them. And, like, oh. Hey, so you accepted Jesus. <laughs> Be healed. No, that's not what we do. And, uh, and so, um, why am I even talking? Oh, because then we get distracted because then someone just will argue. There's a lot of people who just wanted to argue, and you sit there for hours like going, no, you don't get it. I'm the Holy Spirit. You're going to get saved today. And you just waste all that time. But that's kind of what is, you know what I mean, exposing the gospel to mockery. You know, this is why I think you use caution when you're trying to proclaim the message of the gospel on social media and to whom you're proclaiming it to. Better to do it in person. And, uh, and yet, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. In Acts chapter 13, there was a group of people that were so hardened to the message of the gospel that Paul just finally said, guys, I'm going to leave you. You find yourselves, you feel like you're unworthy of this salvation. I'm going to go to the Gentiles and proclaim to them because they want to hear it. So there's definitely people that we need to be discerning. You don't need to say, you know what? You're a dog. Don't say that to them. Your boss, like, oh, you never want to hear about Jesus. Well, you're a pig. Don't say that. Your bonus check will not look great in December. It's not referring to all unbelievers. It's speaking about those who would reject the gospel. They're hostile to the kingdom. Paul turned from those who, who continued to oppose the gospel, and he went to those who were open. Again, you've probably been in that spot, maybe have a relative that you just constantly want to share Jesus with, and just like going like, they're, they're like saying, please stop, I don't want to hear it anymore. It's in that moment you use discernment. You say, I'm not going to throw these holy things out to people who do not want them. And you pray for them. I think about kind of closing out our time about the measuring one. You know, it's like the measurement. That's the thing that scares me the most. Being critical of other people and that being measured back to us. Here, let me encourage you with this. Be filled with grace for other people. If you find yourself having a critical spirit, maybe uh, people that you work with, maybe people that you go to church with, people in your small group, other Christians that go to other churches, maybe people within your own household. Have the kind of restraint to say, I'm not God. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to continue with this critical spirit. 
And then flip it over. God, I'm going to be more like you. I'm going to have abundant grace for people. I want to have mercy for people. I want to be generous with forgiveness for others and not hold grudges. And I want to have a love for other people. And I want goodness to flow out of my life because I want that measured back to me. And see, that's what God promises that he would do. Not only allow the judgment to be measured back to you, but also the blessings that you pour out of your life towards other people. Not have a critical, judgmental spirit because it comes back to us. God is merciful, right? He's loving. He's full of grace and patience for us and, and, and our spiritual development with him. We need to be that same way. But he's also a judge. And he's gonna ask us to give an account for our lives, we read in Romans 14. So we gotta make sure that we live it well and we deal with this particular issue and we get that critical spirit out of our lives for anybody else. Is there anything that you need to repent over this morning? And our team's gonna come and lead us in worship today as they do each and every Sunday, the end of our service. This is that moment for you. This isn't that moment so that the kids, you know, that are painting, it dries before you get it in your car, which it never dries. This is that moment for you to, or for you to get a head start and get out so you can get your kids. This is that moment for you to say, God, what do you wanna speak to my heart? Is there an area that I need to repent over this morning? Is there a harshness that I have? Is there a critical spirit that I have? Am I blind to my own sin? Is there any log that you need to deal with in your own eye this morning? As we read about that and share about that, that you're like, gosh, I've got this giant hypocritical sin that I'm judging other people for, but God has been asking me to deal with my own self. Deal with it this morning. And maybe this morning as we talk about, you know, this relationship that we have with God and the changes that he makes in our lives and calling us to not be hypercritical of other people and judge others, maybe this morning you sit here and you're not certain that you are a Christian. You're not certain that you have a relationship with God. When you think about just the sort of nuts and bolts of life, that when you die, you don't have the assurance that you're going to go and stand before God and be brought into his kingdom. If you think that being good or trying harder is going to earn favor with God, the Bible says that we're all condemned, even as Paul said in Romans 2. That there's no one who is good, no, not one. There's no one who does good, not one person. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So you have broken God's commands as I have broken God's commands, and the only hope for us is that we put our faith and trust in a perfect Savior, Jesus who took all of your sin and my sin and all the, all the wrath that sin deserves in this world and he absorbed it himself when he hung on the cross. The Bible tells us that God so loved this world, he so loves you that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have, but would have everlasting life. What does that mean? It means that there's a point in your life, your adult life, where you make a decision that you're gonna be a follower of Jesus. You're gonna repent of your sin, meaning that you see it as sin, you're gonna ask him to forgive you. You're gonna recognize the fact that you have broken God's laws and that you want to open your life up to allow Jesus Christ to be your savior. You know, people do this all over the world on Sunday mornings like this and throughout the week. But maybe this is that moment for you where you surrender your heart to Jesus. You ask him to come into your life. You know, every Sunday we give an opportunity for somebody to make that decision. Where they can, right where they're sitting, ask God to come into their life, make them a new person. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Would you all bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, this morning I am praying that you will help us as a church family, God, to stop being critical and judgmental of other people. 
Lord, it is not the way you call us to live as your followers. And so God, forgive us for our hypocrisy of trying to make condemning uh, thoughts and actions and, and, and pointing fingers at other people, Lord. God, that's your job. And Lord, you help us, God, to live out life in humility and be gentle with one another. Father, I also pray for those who, who are here today that maybe don't have a relationship with you yet. Right now, your Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart. Right now, God, they are wanting to have the gift of eternal life and salvation. Lord, speak to them right now. And God, open their hearts to receive your love and your forgiveness today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've joined us this morning and today you want to say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. There's nobody looking around right now, but there are people praying for you because they want you to know God loves you. If that's you this morning, you want to say, Gordon, would you pray for me? I want to surrender my heart to the Lord today. That's you. I want you to lift your hand up high enough so I can see it. Let's pray together. Let's tell God together right where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here this morning, you want to surrender your heart. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? God bless you, man. He loves you today. Anybody else? As we close out this morning, you're ready to surrender to him. You want his love and you want his forgiveness. You want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you take your last breath on this planet, You'll take your very next in heaven with God for all eternity. Anybody else this morning? You want to surrender your heart as well? Listen, for those of you that just raise your hand, those that want Jesus in their life, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. You pray something like this in your heart after me. And the Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life and make you a new person today. Pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. And Lord, today I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Lord, today I trust you and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. God, guide my life and help me to do your will. And thank you for your love, Jesus. It's in your awesome name that I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it's always awesome, man, when, when somebody responds, man. God bless you. Man, he loves you. You might have prayed with us. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but on that connection card, there's a little spot that says, today I invited Jesus to be my savior. Check that box. Drop it off on your way out this morning in one of the connection boxes. I want to give you some tools that help you grow. Let's all stand up this morning and uh, close in a time of worship. Again, as always, if you need prayer this morning, there'll be some of my friends on each side of the room that would love to pray with you and for you about the things going on in your life. Let's worship. Mm-hmm.